Welcome to Capital Close Up. I'm Paul Hodes. We're broadcast on WKXL and podcast wherever podcasts are cast. I'm very pleased this morning to have a special show. Uh, we're going beyond politics and we're going to talk about the confluence of poetry, politics, and pandemics with two notable New Hampshire poets and uh, reading from a book called COVID Spring, Granite State Pandemic Poems, edited by Alexandria Peary, published by the Hobble Bush Books in Concord, New Hampshire. And welcome, Marie Harris and Andrew Perrielli to Capital Close-Up. Thank you for having me. So uh, I, I wanted just to say a few words about each of you for our listeners. Um, Marie Harris is a New Hampshire, former New Hampshire Poet Laureate. Uh, from 1999 to 2004, she's a writer, a teacher, an editor. In 2003, she co-produced the first ever gathering of State Poets Laureate. She has served as a writer in residence at elementary and secondary schools throughout New England, is the author of five books of poetry, the most recent of which is Desire Lines, the latest volume in the Hobblebush Books Granite State Poetry Series. Her books for children include G is for Granite, a New Hampshire alphabet, Primary Numbers, a New Hampshire number book, and a picture book, The Girl Who Heard Colors. And we're also joined by my dear old friend, Andrew Perrielli. Uh, for those of you, uh, of course, this is radio, cannot see that we are recording by Zoom, but Andrew is sporting one of the magnificent COVID beards uh, that I have had the pleasure of seeing. Uh, it gives him an old man of the mountain gravitas, which is, does not belie his many skills and talents. Um, Andrew is an actor, a puppeteer, uh, a poet um, who's been really writing, writing a lot of poetry since 2001. I confess that I met Andrew many years ago through our dear friend Larry Siegel when we uh, produced a musical about the New Hampshire legislature and Andrew played the venal lobbyist whose only purpose was money and power. Welcome, Andrew Perrielli. It didn't work out that well. I, I haven't got money or power, but I have poetry. I guess that's all right. That's right. Neither money nor power, but we did get Donald Trump, and Donald Trump begat uh, the Wuhan flu, as he called it, uh, the China flu, the pandemic, and through his inaction, we've all terribly suffered. But today we're going to talk about the response from artists to what we have been through um, and an extraordinary response from the Granite State, which has a long history of 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 literary work, of poetry, uh, Robert Frost. Um, uh, I mean, just, you know, they're, they're, they're Donald, Hall, Donald Hall, Maxine Kuhlman. Right. Yeah, I mean, we could go on and on. Marie Harris and Andrew Perry Alley. Um, I'm just going to read us a paragraph or two from the introduction to the uh, to the anthology. And then I think we'll jump right into having each of you read a poem and we can then talk a little. So here's the introduction. 
April 2020 was a time of daily news briefings and online learning of a stock market out of sync with the country of DIY haircuts and the hoarding of canned goods of never putting gas in our cars of record unemployment of learning how to use zoom of hand sanitizers, of special shopping hours reserved for senior citizens, of needing to ask Google, what day is it? Of not enough ventilators, of not enough masks, of some told to stay home and others working long hours to save lives, of the essential and the non-essential. It was the absurdity of a parking lot or supermarkets full of bandits and surgeons. That's just to set a little bit of the tone for the anthology. Um, how, how did this come about? How, how did this anthology come to be? Andrew? Um, Alexandra Peary, who is our uh, current state poet laureate, had the idea of um, doing a series of workshops that poets could do online through Zoom that would all be based around some aspect of the pandemic. Um, out of this uh, would come an anthology of poems. Now you didn't have to go to the workshops to have a poem in the anthology. Um, but uh, the only real constraint, I guess, was that the poems all be written in April and that the poets all be New Hampshire residents. Hmm. So she combined her, uh, her drive with the um, wherewithal of Hobblebush Press and uh, its uh, current leader, Kirstie Walker. And, um, and they thought it was a great idea. So hmm. here you go. Here we go. It's a beautiful book. Uh, I ordered mine online. Um, Marie, why don't you kick off our reading and read a poem, perhaps one of yours? Well, I'd love to. Thank you. And I, I won't say too much about it. Um, I won't say anything about it before the fact, and then we could, we could discuss a little bit if you want. You. Um, I wrote a poem called Yet Spring. Inexorable, the spread, the fanning out, outbreaks, warbler wheeze and burble, tiny golden flares in the shad bush and birch. Even the rogue north wind that transformed the rain and whitened the daffodils was predicted and projected onto radar maps of migration. Snowmelt swells the rivers again and nests penned from alders again, shrug into the forks of beaches and hunker in mud and sedge. There is no sadness here, no place for sadness, simply an old, old normal, inexorable and spreading through the very air. Hmm. Hmm. So in the book, Marie, at the, uh, after the poem, there's a short paragraph. Is that something that the editor wrote or is it something that you wrote? Well, the editor asked all of us to just write us, I don't know, 100 words about how the pandemic was playing out in our own little towns and, and cities in New Hampshire. So each of us wrote that. Can, can, can you read what you wrote? Sure. Um, Page 73. <laughs> so I said, 
Of course, everything changed. Some things even for the better. The outpouring of support for our food pantry. The masks sewn by a local business person and given to a local grocery store to distribute for free. The people offering to shop for neighbors in need of special precautions. Our wonderful library staff reaching out by phone, patron by patron, to help ease our stress in myriad creative ways in Barrington. Man, oh man, beautiful images in, in that poem. Tiny golden flares in the shad bush and birch. What a beautiful, beautiful image. Thank you. I, I was so overwhelmed by all the bad things that the pandemic was bringing us that all I could think of was there's, there's something still absolutely untouched, unchanged, and that would be nature. It happened to be April, the beginning of the height of the migratory um, songbird season. And I just thought um, that was the only thing I could do to ease my, my mind a bit. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I mean, uh, the pandemic has this mix of, of challenge and opportunity of, of lots of bad stuff, but lots of good stuff. The ability to spend time, if you're lucky to have a partner with, with a partner, the, the joy of taking a walk every day because you gotta, you gotta get out no matter, no matter what the weather. So I think you've captured that really beautifully. Thank you. And I just say that there are little phrases and words in this that carry the undertone of the, the sort of uh, spread of this pandemic, words like hunkered and, and filtering out. I mean, it's, it's um, you know, here we are in this beautiful nature and, and still there is this idea that there's something spreading throughout the land. And it's, on the one hand, it's spring. And on the other hand, it's this, um, this disease. Right. Thank you for noticing that. Mm. It's true. So, Andrew, what about you? How about a poem? Sure. Well, I'll read the one that I wrote. Um, it's called Essential Workers. The small corpses are easier to ignore. The squirrel struck, the raccoon that rots in the ditch. Knowing tomorrow they will be reduced, undertaken by crow and by maggot, those tireless laborers clean again. The mortician refashions our dead when we can't bear to look at the leftovers, bloated, askew on a beach or a battlefield, bodies corruptible, so like our own, robbed of smooth skin, bright eyes, the drumbeat. Sickness is now in the city. There are no more funerals, only the bodies in trailers chock-a-block, frozen, the ovens ablaze, making us lovely like clouds, white sand, a wishbone left out in the sun to bleach. Wow, man, oh man. So that, that's a poem that is on the other side of the coin from Marie's. It's a poem that really captures the, the awfulness but in a beautiful way. So what an incredible juxtaposition of the awful 
and the terrible with the beautiful. Uh, that's a pretty remarkable, it's a pretty remarkable accomplishment that I think poetry uniquely is able to bring us because words have such power uh, to transport, to both sink and elevate at the same time. So good on you for a wonderful poem. What, what did you say about it in the little paragraph at the bottom? Um, well, I actually um, wrote about more the way the pandemic was affecting my life here in, in Stratford. It, it wasn't so much about the poem. Um, but I, I will say that many years ago, I remember someone saying that without, um, without the scavengers and without the maggots and so on, we'd soon be awash in, in corpses um, just from roadkill and, and animals dying in the woods. And, and here, this was written back in April when we were getting the news from New York City that there were just, they, they had to import morticians from other states because they just didn't have enough people to handle it. And there was no way to have funerals. So, they, you know, and I just thought, wow, that's, that's like the natural world without anyone to take care of these uh, bodies right um it's things have changed quite a bit uh in that way and and when we look back to april we think how much we were learning about this and how to deal with it um and so i'm i'm glad for that yeah i mean you and you talked about strafford's bicentennial year in your yeah. com in your comments right yeah, you said there had been a planned poetry contest mm -hmm. and winners would read in an event with your friend and neighbor, Charles Simic. Mm -hmm. Then the bicentennial celebration was canceled. Mm -hmm. But even with schools closed and students in isolation, the poetry contest has been completed with glorious odes to our town's natural beauty. Take that, COVID-19. There you go. Yeah, we thought uh, my my co um, co organizer of the puppetry festival, uh, Cynthia Knorr, and I thought, well, the, the kids have been writing all these poems. We're not going to tell them sorry. You know, we're going to go through with this, and if we have to come up with prizes ourselves, we will. Um, so we whittled it down to our finalists, and and everybody got a a book and. Uh, got their poem in the local town newsletter. And, and we, uh, Cynthia put up a couple of gift certificates at Water Street Books for the, uh, the winners. And uh, it was nice. I hand delivered all the prizes, left them on people's porches and so on. Um, so yes, the idea was that if we were safe this coming summer to get together, that the winners could come and read their poems with uh, with Charlie Simic. Well, we'll see. It might be. You know, poetry has taken on um, an elevated presence uh, all of a sudden in our country with Amanda Gorman's show-stopping poem at the inauguration of our new president, Joe Biden. 
and Kamala Harris, our vice president, the way in which she framed the American promise and our challenge, the ways in which she recited her poem, the elegance and stunning presentation. So talk about, talk about crazy. Here's crazy. Now, Amanda Gorman is going to read a poem before the Super Bowl. O ye of corn chips and dip, O ye of beer and wings, take that, you football addicts watching the elder Brady and the youthful Mahomes battle it out like gladiators. But before the battle, the poets come and the poet reads, there's a change afoot. That that what do we make of that? What is there? What do we make of politics and poetry and pandemics in America? How does it happen that a 22 year old black young black woman, a poet, is invited to read a poem before the Super Bowl? What's happening in America? It's it's a moment, isn't it? And yeah. It also sounds a bit like like what would have happened in ancient Greece. Yeah. You know, exactly. like, or the yeah. Olympics or something. They would have had kind of orators and poets and declaiming and all that sort of stuff. It's more well the thing is, and it didn't just happen. I think that Amanda single-handedly created the the um the possibility that this could happen because she proved herself to be such a such a presence and such a um, what can I say? I mean words fail me, but um once people saw her. They went, wow, this could happen at my event, you know? Right, 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 right. I think that she's doing something in, um, in celebration of two people that are intimately involved with the Super Bowl in some way. I, I, I don't know any more than that, but I think that they, they thought this would be a perfect connection. Yeah, you know, so I, 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 I want to do one thing before um, our break. We have about four minutes or so. And Andrew, I, you know, there are certain lines in poems that, that strike me. And the last line in your poem, uh, your poem titled Essential Workers, has the phrase, a wishbone left out in the sun to bleach. And as I, it's a remarkable, a remarkable image. It, 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 it brings to mind, I don't know, deserts or beaches or this hot blinding sun and, and, and Jock-a-Block next to your poem in the anthology is a poem by Kay Morgan called Hanging Laundry in a Time of COVID-19. I, it's a short poem, and I'll read it. Uh, and it's very interesting because of the last image in that poem. Kay Morgan, underwear on its own strand of green plastic line, the sheets at least a foot apart with an empty line in between, my maroon driving gloves, the ones which have handled the doorknobs, the grocery bags, the Clorox wipes, the house key, accoutrements of life, lived between the house and world at large, hang by themselves, bright sun bleaching them. Mm -hmm. It's interesting how images cross cross geography and seem to uh, capture the imagination. Uh, 
of of poets uh, far apart, not talking to each other. I don't think you and Kay Morgan got together to talk about that image. No, no that's, that's just one of those things that happens. It's in yeah. the art. It, it's in it's in it's in the ether. Well, who is there another short poem that we can read to take us out of this segment? Oh, I've got one. Great. Go for it. Okay, this is by Grace Mattern, who lives in Northwood, and it's called An American Elegy. We go back to not dying. Wherever we fall is the beginning. An alley of elms planted to create a lace of sunlight and shadow. What separates branches from wind in designing their dance? Nothing. We carry our own seasons, wondering when we will have wept enough. We crave the cheerfulness of a park, the feathered voices of children. We know we are not brave, but ordinary. We hold our breath and listen for our common language, the murmur under the hum. The murmur under the hum, our common language. What? What does she mean, the murmur under the hum? Andrew, have a crack at it. Oh, I, I was just enjoying. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I don't know whether me, I, I think this is just a kind of, our common language, the murmur under the, under the, the hum of, of everyday life, uh, the, the, the constant noises that, that thread through our, our lives, and then this, this murmur underneath are our voices our individual voices. That's what I take out of it. Right. And it's amazing how our lives have changed and so quickly as we've had to adapt to living in the time of a pandemic with both its fear and its joys. Celebrated by poets in the anthology COVID Spring, Granite State Pandemic Poems. This is Capital Close-Up. I'm Paul Hodes. We're, we're talking and speaking and hearing from poets Marie Harris and Andrew Perrielli, we'll be back after this with more beautiful poetry. Hello, it's Capital Close-Up. I'm Paul Hodes. We're broadcast on WKXL Podcast, wherever your podcasts are cast. I'm speaking with poets Marie Harris and Andrew Perrielli, and we're reading and discussing the pandemic and poems from a book called COVID Spring, Granite State Pandemic Poems, edited by Alexandria Peary and beautifully published by the Hobblebush books in Concord, New Hampshire. Um, we've been reading and talking about poems and life, life in the pandemic and the artist's response. What is it about the artist's response that, that is so important? What? It's so important. We've seen an outpouring of, of response from musicians and visual artists and poets and poetry elevated and why do we turn to the arts at a time of such challenge well um artists think about things in a different way maybe than than most people um maybe it's because we're unemployed so much of the time and and sitting around contemplating um, life in the middle distances. Um, 
but I think, you know, when you hear something from, from someone who's thought, thought deeply about a, a subject, you suddenly realize that, um, I don't know, maybe the truth of a thing that you just hadn't considered before, because you haven't had the words or the images, but that's one of the functions of art, I think, is to make, uh, make those things obvious to us. There's a, a wonderful quote I, I read on the wall of a little whitewashed wall of a little museum once uh, by Paul Valéry, and he says, and I think it applies whether it's uh, visual art, poetry, music, he says, a work of art should always teach us we have not seen what we've been looking at. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that really sums up the, the role of the artist in, in society and why people, I mean, I know that when I look at a, a, a particular painting or hear a piece of music, um, it gives me back the world in a way that I couldn't have done myself. And I think that's the, that's the function. Yeah. I mean, we, 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 we sense deeper truths in our everyday life. Somehow a beautiful work, a poem gives us the space to pause and, and see beyond the everyday to the deeper truths of soul and meaning in life. And we slow down, you know, a, a good poem completely. It, it takes us out of time in a way to, to see what is essential and important. Um, and it's so rich, the beautiful words that you both have created and the words that are in the poems in this book are just so beautiful. The image is so, so strong that it gives us a new perspective on this challenging time. Let's, let's read some, some, some other poems. Who's next? I'd, I'd love to read a poem by Marin Tiribasi. Okay. She's a, a, a Portsmouth poet, but also um, a minister. And um, I always love the way she talks about things. So here is her poem in the anthology. It's called Little Things. I fold up the canvas bags I faithfully used to bag my groceries and begin to cry uncontrollably for all the good efforts I've ever made that have been turned around. Then I walk the dog past the cemetery and think, those stones are standing too close. Now my nose is running into my mask as I begin to remember the people who touched my life from whom I now have so much distance. Joy too drives by when a friend stages a one-car birthday parade, balloons out the sunroof and singing off-key out the windows. And suddenly the balloons stand for every joy I've ever known, the gravestones for all my losses, and changing back to plastic bags for my bread and coffee and potatoes to keep us safe reminds me how many times I have not changed the world. Not yet. But these parables, plucked from the inside out of little things, flatten the curve between my heart and hope. Read the last, read the last four lines one more time. But these parables, plucked from the inside out of little things, 
flatten the curve between my heart and hope. Huh. So here's a poet who has taken an endlessly repeated line that we clung to in that those early days and months of the pandemic about flattening the curve. It's a line that was spoken by politicians and newscasters and scientists. And in this poem, it's, it's, it's utterly transformed, utterly in, transformed into flatten the curve between my heart and hope. And all of a sudden, it takes on a whole new meaning and possibility that has nothing to do with our response to the pandemic, but how, how we're going to live through this, the flattening the curve between my heart and hope. Mm. My, oh my. And I love the way she uses just the most common everyday things in, in our lives, the grocery bags, you know, going from canvas back to plastic and walking the dog and, um, you know, bread and coffee and potatoes. I mean, it's, this is something from all our lives. It's not some elevated, um, you know, fine thing to which few of us can relate. It's just, it's right there in front of us every day. And wow. Yeah. And what she says about her poem or what she says in her little paragraph is people walked, they walked with dogs and strollers. They walked in rain and sweaty, hot sunshine. They walked with masks and umbrellas. They walked with walkers. Some walked to find stuff bears in windows, and some walked with their noses in books. They wrote Tanka and Senryu, Mondo and Dodoitsu about their walks because the Portsmouth Poet Laureate Project is bridges to Japan. In Portsmouth, the people walked. You know, this might be a wonderful chance if we have time to read S. Stephanie's poem that's also about walking. Great. Great. Yes, please. Just a little note at the bottom. The Elephant is a poem by the late Brazilian poet Carlos Drummond de Andrade. And she, she refers to that. It's on page 10. The Elephant in the Pandemic. In 83, when Carlos de Andrade died, they said his elephant died with him. We knew it would. I mean, it being made of nothing more than Carlos's big love, crooked smile, and salt from one of Carlos's eyes. It was August 17th, and they say the streets were windswept and colder than they had ever been in Rio that day. But the elephant wouldn't have described it as such, since every day for years he had walked out, reading those streets, saddened at what lay under them, while wind and emotion tore right through him. So much so that poor Carlos spent a lifetime of nights putting him back together with spit, pen, and glue, only to have him torn apart again the next day. Such labor, such patience and in hours of such silence. On my own walk today through this pandemic riddled town, I thought I saw the elephant hobbling along Main Street. The street was so empty, wide enough to really think in. And I thought I saw him pause as if he might reach out, pat the dog being walked in the shadows by a stranger. 
Instead, he kept the rules of social distance and took a left down Foundry Street. Poor elephant, I thought. Such times and such walks with no one to tell a private joke, a secret, or story to. All day walking, only to find its own ragged self at the end of its own frayed tail. Mm. That's, that's brimming with imagination. That yeah. is brimming with imagination and complexity mm-hmm. because the poet is writing, is, is inspired by a poem by a Brazilian poet called The Elephant, and she takes off. She takes off and, and takes us into stratospheric imagination uh, in this poem. I mean, the idea of an elephant walking down Main Street and, and, and the condition of the elephant. Poor Carlos spent a lifetime of nights putting him back together with spit, pen, and glue, only to have him torn apart again the next day. Such labor, such patience, and in hours of such silence. It's a stunning poem. Mm. What does it mean? I think, you know, again, all these poems have this underlying, in this book, have this underlying reference to the pandemic. And I'm seeing, as Stephanie, uh, walking down virtually empty streets and then saying, what did she say? The streets are so empty that they're wide enough for this elephant. And so it's like my imagination can go somewhere else. My imagination can help Mm. make some kind of sense of this. Right. And yeah, I mean, well, just that it's an elephant is so magical. (laughs) Is neither native to Rollinsford or to uh, Brazil, Brazil, (laughs) but it's been created out of thin air and salt from an eye, you know, by by this uh, Brazilian poet. Um. But it's it's also fragile. It has to be reconstructed every day, uh, just by the poet's love and imagination. And and S has, has you know transplanted that to our our streets and in just such a wonderful way. Yeah. Poor elephant, I thought. Such times and such walks with no one to tell a private joke, a secret. Or a story to, and who she, you know, who she talking about there, right? Not just the elephant. Yeah, and and you know, she she uh, S is from Rollinsford, and and New Hampshire is such a a wonderful assortment of communities. We where we we all live in. It's one of the es- essential great things about this eccentric state is that our eccentric communities each have a very individual character and identity as as a community and we're really focused on our our communities uh, for good or for ill sometimes we sometimes we fail to see the larger the larger identity but but often a strong sense of community is so important and many there it it's hard to find in some places but not in new hampshire and she writes Rollinsford is a small town of mostly artist studios in the old mills along the river. 
most felt lost when our two community hubs, the Black Bean Cafe and Public Library, closed. Our sense of community became suspended. The library, which hosts the town clubs, along with everything from yoga classes to senior coffee hour, suddenly became a reminder of how fragile our community is. The cafe became just an empty window on a pandemic exercise walk. Just how fragile our communities are and how, how much tending community takes to keep it together and how challenging that is in times of COVID when we can't gather, we can't hug, we can't, we can't get close and say hello. It's hard to share a cup of coffee because the cafe is closed. You can't go to the library and have poetry readings because we can't get together in groups of more than a very few all wearing masks. It's all very strange. And how tenuous is our is our connection, but how powerfully we we seek to maintain connection. Mm-hmm especially in times like these. So what's next on the poetry parade here? Well, I I just want to say, to expand on what you said, that there are weeks where I am at a poetry event every night of the week. And on some of them, there are two or three going on at the same time. It's all on Zoom, of course. But I I went to a, a reading in Iowa City the other day. And we've had events here where there have been people from Alaska and, um, and other countries. Uh, so that's, that's one of those silver linings where, um, you know, we are, we are connecting. It's maybe not the way we're used to. And, um, and hopefully we find somebody close to us that we can hug, <laughs> but at least we are seeing our friends and new people um, and, and exchanging our words and thoughts and, and being encouraging and so on. Mm-hmm. So creating new communities. Yeah. 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 So who's got a poem? Let's see. Who's up? Okay. I tell you what, um, I'd like to read one from um from someone in my poetry group. Actually, S is in my poetry group, but this this is the first poem in the collection. It's by Anna Birch. And it's called, On the Day the Pandemic is Declared. The trucks arrive and take down the century trees out front. Rooted rock maples, James and Mary planted when they built this house. Insistent on their destruction, my mother speaks out against ruin, against porous rot, punk wood, limbs that might fall on the children. There is no blessing, no sitting beside the dying. I park in the back, try not to watch from my windows as the canopy is dropped piece by piece. Even the early spring lawn, so pale, seems offended. It takes too long. I pace the kitchen, scramble to keep busy, 
then run from the house into the flurry and growing disquiet of town, crowded stores, frantic buying. And now even the air feels different. We have made an untenable mistake, knowing these old ones could have relayed something arcane and wise. Halfway through the cut, the man said, you could have fit a body down into the middle of the trunk. And I wish I'd made them leave then with their orange vests and cigarettes and lowered myself inside what remained to listen, to remember bark, root, and filament. <laughs> so here's an imagining that you're becoming It's it's like seeking refuge inside the tree from what's going on outside, everything being cut down, the tree itself in which you want to hide or place yourself, to, to jump into the tree, to be the tree, to, to, to remove, perhaps, from things being cut down. Mm. And the fact that these, these trees are elders and that line of hers, knowing these old ones could have relayed something arcane and wise. And when we think of how many of our elders have died in, in nursing homes because, you know, they were just so vulnerable to this disease and and what went with them mm. it says here about the trees but of course just about exactly what you were saying andrew there is no blessing no sitting beside the dying mm, exactly you know it's uh, echoes of echoes of what's happening out there in the world but mm -hmm. sort of seen through the lens of this particular event you and know I was just thinking about how she captures he, the trees are embody our history as she, and as she talks about the elders and you know we had we we knew what was coming we we had this in 1918 there was there was plenty of information about what to do and what not to do there was there was a plan that was left there was history to rely on the trad one of the great tragedies is that the powers that were at the time, the criminal avoiders of truth, uh, avoided any of the lessons of history. Mm -hmm. Marie, one more from you with about two minutes left. All right, this is a very short one, and it's by Griffin Nyhan. It's called Graduating College During a Global Pandemic. Hmm. And just like that, it was over. No walk. No paper, no goodbyes, just a last Zoom meeting closing. Just like that, it was over. My gown in its bag, still folded, creased, tassels hidden somewhere inside. And just like that, it was over. No walk, no paper, no goodbyes. Oh my. So there's a young person with a profound sense of, of loss a profound sense of the change of having to release expectations, having to, 
to give up on on a dream because i mean just it's uh for so many who go to college getting the diploma making the walk the ceremony the ritual is now an imaginary ceremony and ritual that exists in our mind um like many of the rituals that we practice every day now just in our imagination until this is done so marie harris former poet laureate and andrew perriali actor puppeteer and poet thank you for joining me on capital close-up my pleasure thank you paul thank you paul I'm Paul Hodes. It's Capital Close-Up. Join us next week. We'll be back.